Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson, podcast mic here at the start of the episode to introduce this week's guest, Seren Jayamana. Uh, Seren is a stand-up comedian and writer who is currently working on Will's TV show, Question Everything. He is also a qualified but not practicing accountant. And Seren talks in this episode about his experience in comedy, his experience being raised Catholic, uh, as well as his time working with... Uh, fellow comedian Dilruk Jayasinha, who has also been on this podcast as an accountant and how they both kind of uh, made their way into comedy from there. You can scroll up and check out Dilruk's episode as well. You might like that one too. If you'd like to support Willosophy, for as little as a dollar a month, you can head to patreon.com slash Willosophy. You get every episode a day early with no ads. As well as that, you can also go to tofop.com to check out our other podcasts, Tofop, Fofop, and Two Guys, One Cup, and AFL Adjacent Podcast, uh, as well as Willosophy Pod on Instagram to see all of our amazing uh, guest portraits by our artist, James Fosdyke. So we would love for you to go follow us there and take a look at some of the portraits of our guests. Uh, please enjoy this episode, though, with Will Anderson and Seren Jayamana. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. And this is how the show starts. I ask my guests who they are. So who are you? Um, okay. I, I'm Seren. I, I did. I had a feeling that um, maybe I, I was real suspicious. <laughs> when Michael emailed me, I was like, man, that, like Will's had Matthew Hayden and like Julia Gillard on this podcast. He like as if he even knows who I am. And you've, just, you've proven that correct. Um. <laughs> no, I asked them who they were. Oh, okay, show, right. So yeah. don't, like, this is how the show starts. Um. It starts this way with every single one. Yeah, of my I, I thought it was some sort of administrative. It's not error. just like who the fuck are you? Yeah. How did you roll into here? Uh, it felt sort of accusatory. No, I um, yeah. am uh, Saran Chaimana. I'm a stand-up comedian and a writer, and uh, I'm. Yeah, I'm I'm like a, a Sri Lankan background, uh, based in Sydney, and yeah, I get you don't you don't get asked that a lot. So that's, yeah, <laughs> I know that's why I like to ask people to see what they say. Yeah, right. It's real. It's questions that seem really simple and actually really disarming yeah, to too, people. Too like, often overlooked. Who are you? Yeah. <laughs> Um, when you are asked to describe who you are, because it is an interesting question, I think, because so often we lead with what we do. How much is what you do connected to who you are? Um, I think that, that's, oh yeah, so interesting, especially in this time of like lockdowns um, and coronavirus, etc. I reckon before corona, I was... It was pretty tied to who I was, um, but then it, obviously with lockdown, not being able to do a lot of physical going out and performing stand-up comedy, um, I think I'd sort of reevaluated a little bit. Or and it when I went back to do stand-up comedy, it definitely felt like oh, it's it's actually more enjoyable when it's not tied too closely to you. Like when you realise that there's meaning elsewhere stand up so much more fun and so now i'm trying to carry that 
through. So how long had you been doing stand-up when the pandemic hit? Um, uh, probably about uh, eight years. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's, that, that's actually a really good time for a break. In a way, like not in a financial sense, but in a like a connection to stand up sense. About seven or eight years in, you're starting to really find your voice. Yeah. A good time to have a time to step away, reevaluate who you are and your relationship to stand up. I think so. I think it's weird as well because I'd started, I reckon I only. Like if you'd asked me that question just before pandemic, I would have said comedian, but it's probably the first time I reckon I would have. Yeah. Like it, it took me about eight years to be like, oh, this is what I'm going to call myself. Um, whereas before that, I don't know, I would have said I'm like an accountant who is trying to do stand-up. So, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, you would say it could be a weird you know, road to be an accountant who's of Sri Lankan background who does stand-up comedy. Except- yeah, it's not niche at all. <laughs> I'm so aware of this. I, uh, <laughs> I think it, it, it's probably why I mentioned being Sri Lankan at the start because it's like that's how I would introduce myself on stage is saying like yeah. I'm actually the third most successful Sri Lankan Australian <laughs> who does comedy who used to be an accountant and I'm but I'm the only Sri Lankan Australian who does comedy who used to be an accountant who hasn't been on I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here so that's the like <laughs> yet that's the yet. little unique selling point yeah <laughs> so um, when you see you know, there is that big question of, you know, if you can see it, you can be it. Um, you know, I'm a kid from a dairy farm in country Victoria, but I always say I had the privilege of thinking that I could do the job that I do because when I turned on the TV or I looked on stage and I saw the people doing it, they all looked like me. So even if they weren't from a dairy farm in, on Anderson's Road in Denison, they still looked like me. Yeah. I mean... You've got no excuse if you're an accountant and from Australian <laughs> background in Australia who thinks they're funny, but to try stand-up comedy, like it's got such a high success rate for the for the next generation of Sri Lankan accountants. I would say that's very true. But for me, when I was a kid, if I was to apply that logic, I would be working for Dilma. Like that's the <laughs> that or playing for like the Sri Lankan cricket team. Those were the choices. And it's crazy. It's gone from. Like the only Sri Lankan on TV when I was a kid was Dilma, and now it's Dil Rook. So it's like yeah. only a slight <laughs> variation, you know? <laughs> I mean, it is one of those things, I guess, when it comes to like diversity of casting, where like no one ever thought that they would have Sri Lankans with accounting background to choose from. Like you always <laughs> assumed that if, like, okay, we've got this one gig. <laughs> We need them to both do the books and appear on screen. <laughs> do yeah. you have anyone from it for me? It's no coincidence that the all of the Sri Lankan comedians who used to be accountants, it's that Venn diagram is a complete circle with Sri Lankan comedians. You know, like it's there's not a big pool of Sri Lankan comedians who yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, Most people go to an open mic night, but Sri Lankans who want to get into comedy go down to KPMG and they're just like yeah, I'm here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, it's true. I, I like. I figured that on this podcast you might ask about the accounting thing and whether I like. I don't know. I think people ask like regret not getting into comedy sooner, that type of thing. But it just it doesn't even occur to me. It's just like that was the path. Just feels natural, and maybe it is because every other Sri Lankan comedian has has tread that path. But to to be fair to me, I actually did comedy before Dilrook. Uh, like I did raw comedy ages ago and then I never did comedy again. And I think I was showing off to him at 
KPMG, which is where we met. Um, <laughs> and then he he ended up becoming fa- like winning a Logie and stuff. You're like, oh, I did this first, man. Yeah. You're just doing my thing. Yeah, exactly. I feel, yeah. But jealousy is good. Like a negative emotions are pretty good motivators. <laughs> <laughs> I'll catch them eventually. <laughs> so my granddad would have loved more than anything. He's a great dream for me. My, I was named after my grandfather. I, he's a William. He was a Bill, but I, I'm a Will, but we're both Williams. And uh, he was my best friend when I was a kid. Like, he was such an attentive grandfather. Like, he lived on the same property as us. Like, I helped him build his house. Like, he was just that guy who just didn't mind me hanging around with him all the so, time. In fact, all your festival shows are named after him. Yeah, that's yeah. what people don't know. Yeah. It's just a tribute to my granddad. <laughs> that's actually quite touching. Everyone thought that you, you're like, come on, Will. Find really self-involved, gimmick, but, but no. Yeah, yeah what, you hate my granddad and my relationship <laughs> with him? Well, yeah, I'm, you know what? They weren't until now, but now okay. they are in every other interview from now on. So he, um, his great dream for me was to be an accountant. He thought that would be... Like, yeah, from his background, like small business, like growing up on a farm, you know, the idea that I could have like a job like an accountant. I always thought he would have been terribly disappointed at the way that my life has actually gone. You know, I was like, I have an accountant, granddad. That that counts. He's like a showbiz accountant. He plays in Hunters and Collectors. So (laughs) That's amazing. I didn't know that. Um, Is he like, he's one of the, he's a drummer or something or is he? Um, my accountant, he's a, a trumpet player in Hunters and Collectors. Yeah, wow. That's, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, he once had to cancel an accounting meeting with me because he was being inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I mean, it's, I, I was depressed before by the number of Sri Lankan accountants that do comedy. But like, <laughs> we're not even at the top rung of, of Australian entertainment like law. That's crazy. Um, are you good with like, you know, your bookkeeping and your money and that side of the industry? Like, do you just take care of all that yourself because of your background? Because Limo used to be an accountant, but it's fair to say Limo took his eye off the ball when it comes to <laughs> accounting for things and has, you know, put that out to somebody else. Are you still a person who like, you know, does most of that stuff yourself? Yeah, I do. I do most of it myself, but I also, um, when I say I do most of it myself, I haven't been making any money for like a long time so there's been nothing to do for like i i think i've been focusing on stand-up for about two years before the pandemic and that was it was like dribs and drabs and then weirdly through 2020 i actually started to make a bit of money because i had started doing more writing stuff so, so no, this is tell anyway. Me a- that's not the question you asked. But, but the point is, like, I I, w- I do do it myself, but there's not. It hasn't been complicated. I haven't reached levels of like. I'm interested in that though, because I'm interested in the idea of finding something during the pandemic. Because, like, for all the stories of people who lost things during the pandemic, there are also a bunch of people who found things. I was talking to Jenna Owen from Freudian Nip. People might know her as one of the contact tracies, like very funny sketch stuff they do for the feed on SBS and a whole bunch of other things as well. And I was talking to her about the idea that really, you know, they could look at their life in the last 18 months and say that the pandemic benefited them. I mean, the thing they've become most famous for is a pandemic sketch. It wouldn't exist without it, but also they were able to keep doing their job. They were employed during that time. They developed their skills in a time where nobody else was sort of developing their skills and people were at home, like consuming this content more than they ever had before. So what's your relationship with actually finding 
you know, like finding some more work, finding some writing, doing different things during the pandemic? Uh, yeah, I definitely, 2020 was a, a, I was very fortunate through um, last year. Uh, I think, well, for one, I ended up doing, like I was kind of a guest actor, if you will, in a couple of the Freudian nip sketches on the feed, um, which has bizarrely opened up little weird acting things for me, which was not a world I ever kind of saw myself in. Um, and then I uh, got asked to write, like uh, do a day of writing with At Home Alone Together, which was an amazing kind of felt like a bit of a changing of the guard at the ABC or at least like an opening of the door for these all these people who'd been chipping away for ages to hunt, suddenly be given like the reins over a show and just kind of do their own thing without too much scrutiny and it was like pretty fresh and cool. Uh, so just while we're on At Home Alone together because some listeners might know a little bit of this story, I've talked about it before on this show, but – um, I am doing a new TV show on the ABC. It's called Question Everything. You can find it on ABC, 8, 8.30 Wednesday nights from August the 18th, but also on ABC iView. There you go. There's a plug. Um, but that show wouldn't exist without At Home Alone Together. Um, it came out of a conversation that I had with Dan Illich, Dan Illich um, uh, maybe a couple of years beforehand. And he was talking about the idea that he wanted, always wanted to pitch all this stuff. But, you know, he kept hearing from people, unless you're Will Anderson or Dave Hughes, you're not going to get this show up, Right. And then he made At Home Alone Together, which just I thought was such a collection of incredible talent. And I was someone who was already aware of how much talent there was. But I I watched that show and I I was just – I really – like the spark for the show that I am going to do is like well, – depending on when people are hearing this – came out of that show because I was like, look at all these great you know young and new performers. I wonder if there's something I could do to help them have a platform that's a little bit more mainstream – that will connect that bigger audience with like this smaller audience, but amazing, you know, stuff they're doing off their own bat. And so, yeah, it would not exist without that show and what Dan did. Yeah. It felt like a moment in time kind of thing where it was like uh, just an injection of kind of voices that, yeah, like obviously you are aware of and I've been working alongside these people for ages and then seeing, but, but for so long we hadn't seen them really have, like control of their own thing on the ABC, little snippets like Fancy Boy or whatever. But it just, it felt like a, a moment where the whole world was, felt like it was about to end and people really lent into that and were like, well, let's just let anything go. You know, it's kind of like the last season of Tonightly or those last few episodes where Tonightly got cancelled and they could do whatever. This was like the world has been cancelled. Let's just see what happens, you know? And, yeah, what's um, the worst thing that can happen? We're not going to have to yeah. pay back this money anyway. Yeah. The world is ending. Exactly. And then, Although when I describe it that way, if the world's been cancelled, maybe at home alone together isn't as brave as um, like, <laughs> we could have probably done more. But, they, um, but I think luckily they uh, like put out submissions for sketches and they just had some money left in the – in the kitty and I got to do some writing for that. And I think that then, I don't know, I, all of these things are sort of like having done, having enough touch points where your name comes up enough times from probably different sources that then it feels like you're just pushing against a wall for ages and, but it only takes one little straw to kind of break the camel's back kind of thing. Also the important, again, the importance of shows like 
tonightly, you know, again, I don't want to bore everyone at home because they hear me say this all the time, but it's a fucking disgrace that the ABC cancelled tonightly. If they wanted to keep going with it in a different form, if they'd given different teams an, each a, a night of the week or they'd, you know, rotated the hosts or they'd whatever, it's a fucking disgrace that that show doesn't exist at the ABC. And when you talk about At Home Alone Together, you're showing the power of a show like that. It was exactly what you said. It gets you in there. People start to hear about who you are. Like other people get inspired by seeing this talent and want to put this talent on other shows. Those shows are worth so much more than this arbitrary reading of the show was on and people tell you how many people watched it the next day and then that's the assessment of whether the show was successful or not. These shows are successful because they open up a door and they give some momentum. Yeah. They create an energy. That and we, I recently was just working on um, Australia debates at the ABC, which was like part of the Australia Talks, the big kind of national survey that the ABC are trying to do every two years. And uh, the producer there was like, this is a great opportunity to make some shows off the back of this where we can have like a little bit of an injection of, of fresh blood. And the timing was a bit unfortunate for like uh, a lot of the booked guests because they were from Melbourne and that was when Melbourne had their snap lockdown. But because of that, then all of a sudden the doors opened for a bunch of Sydney people who were real young and fresh and and it felt like being part of that production and watching it go to air, it felt like, yeah, this is the role of the ABC and it's sort of maybe been forgotten, but it's like if the ABC does this, then like you're going to have a constant kind of, uh, funnel of new talent coming through and it, and it won't feel static like it has maybe for, for a while. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you. I mean, part of the idea behind my show was really that idea of there were shows like Good News Week or whatever when I was starting out that gave me an opportunity when I was a kid and then I got to go on and you know do other things off the back of that. Like, you need to create the spaces for the people to be able to shine. And it might be giving them their own show. It might be just giving them a slot on some other show that you're already making, you know, providing an opportunity, like a little bit in the corner. It doesn't always have to be, here's everything and it's all on your back and you have to come up with this great idea and it'll like fail or it'll succeed. Sometimes it's just like, look, we're doing this thing anyway. And there's this corner over here. Would you like to come and stand in that corner for a while? Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I don't know whether, because obviously you saw At Home Alone together and maybe that sparked the thought for you. But I don't know. Do you reckon that's common? Because like I've, there's other shows that are appearing on other networks. There's like Mel Bracewell has that show, which is kind of like Working Dog doing the same thing that you've done right. where they're like, you know what? Mel's very funny. Tim is very funny. They let's give them a very low budget, easy to make show, but put them at the front of it and like and well, and not just in. put them at the front of it. It feels like from you know it's only been a few episodes when we're recording this, their voice and they're going to use a bunch of like other comedians and stuff like yeah. you know who aren't those mainstream people that you would see on Have You Been Paying Attention? So I agree. Like I mean I think it's a big responsibility of if the industry isn't crying out to put these people on, that maybe people who are program makers within the industry who have some power have to take it upon ourselves to say, well, we'll just do it. Like the ABC yeah. didn't come to me and say, can you come up with a show that'll put new people on TV? I came up with that. And then I took it to the ABC because I was like, well, fuck it. I probably shouldn't just sit around and wait for somebody to come up with the idea when yeah. I could 
I could go and do that. And it feels like that's what Working Dog have done, right? Working Dog have gone, well, we are going to do something with the power we have here. Yeah, and this is a weird analogy, which maybe I'll regret making, but like I've been watching the Olympics a lot and every ad at the moment during the Olympics is a big corporation telling us how they're going green and they're going sustainable. And it feels like it's not a coincidence. It's like this group think or maybe they've all done their market research and they're like, we can't wait any longer. And it's kind of like we had the moment 10 years ago when the government could have done it and now we've got to wait like because the government fucking dropped the ball on it. Now we have to wait 10 years for these for these companies. It's not ideal. You don't want big companies to have to like, like we don't want to take our morals from companies, but it's like because the government didn't do it, you know, and that it feels sort of like that, like the production companies, no one's taken a risk making TV or not as not the production companies, but the networks, no one's like willing to take a risk. So then it falls onto like the next level kind of almost. Right. Well, to like to create an opportunity, create a space in the same way as yeah. the space was created for you in the first place. Like, you know, no one just arrived magically at the top of the tree. Like people were given opportunities and then didn't fucking go away. That's the problem. Like, you know, there used to be this idea that like people would come on the scene and then they would like go off and do something else. But the industry grew up and it became lucrative enough, etc. that of course I'm still going to go to the Adelaide Fringe every year. That's where I run in my show and heaps of people will come <laughs> yeah. and see my show. But like there isn't that sort of sense of, well, you're quite a big act now. Like should you really be going to a fringe festival when there's like a whole bunch of new acts who are at this festival? I thought about this a lot in Melbourne this year because obviously it was a huge successful year for a generation of talent who like people within the industry knew had been great for ages but because of the internationals because of the bigger name Australian acts they just there wasn't space within the market for these people to have primetime slots and good reviews and like you know all you know just people going in to see their show because it was like the hip show of the festival and because the internationals couldn't come out to the festival and because not all the regular big name Australians were doing the festival, suddenly what you saw was as soon as there was space, there was like a dozen people who were willing to fill that space, who were ready to fill that space. And yeah, I grapple with that a lot. I think about that a lot, which is the idea of, you know, the part of your responsibility, if you're going to stick around, is to make sure you're creating some space for other people. I think a lot about how um, Australia has hit this, like, critical mass where it's big enough to support a mainstream but not not so big that you can have a mainstream and have niche audience like like the uk or america they can support both alternative and mainstream and then new zealand is so small that it doesn't have a a mainstream and so it's like very creative and very like mainstream is taika ytt and 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 like Jermaine Clement and stuff, who are as like out there as it gets kind of thing. I mean, Tyke is obviously now directing Marvel movies or whatever, but like that, the Wellington Paranormal is a mainstream New Zealand TV show, you know what I mean? And, and But not only that is now, I mean, last week or the week before when we we're recording this was the number one downloaded like watch stream show. In America. In America. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, and it's just something that if you ever said, I'm going to make a successful hit American show, 
this is the complete opposite. This you'd go, are you quitting? Because you've turned <laughs> yeah, in like this show <laughs> for what I asked. You're literally you could be only doing this on purpose. <laughs> this is the opposite of what we think will work. And yet, when given the chance to work, it, it, of course, it then shows that it can. Yeah, and I and I think Australia has that creativity and that kind of uh, like strong pedigree of really interesting work, but it just the the gatekeepers are probably too invested because you can actually just have you can put out kind of pedestrian stuff and it will have mainstream appeal and then and that's a way safer bet you know what i mean yeah I, but i don't know if it do, like i mean i don't know if it does i mean big reality shows and you know shiny floor shows sure but I watch, I have quite an obsession with um, the TV show Gogglebox. Never has anyone done like a bigger 180 on an opinion they had (laughs) than me and Gogglebox. When I first heard about the show, I was like, this is the worst idea for, like, we're literally going to watch people watch TV. Like, (laughs) fuck you. Like, Pop has eaten itself, shit itself out and eaten the shit. Like, we are done as a species. And I... Love it. But what I love even more than watching the the new episodes is going back and watching like old series of the show and just seeing how many shows you don't even remember ever happened. You're a box set kind of guy. You got the director's commentary going as well. I mean, if they had, wouldn't that be great? The people watching TV commenting on them watching TV, you know, I just ate a sandwich and I was feeling a bit grumpy. <laughs> Uh, I ask people on this podcast, the, the vague conceit of the show is I ask people if they have a life philosophy of any kind. Do you have a life life philosophy? Um, I So the other thing that happened during the pandemic is that I got very um, sort of uh, introspective and like uh, into kind of spiritual stuff, um, which is also funny because sometimes I'm like, Things have uh, starting to roll on, and I feel like a bit of momentum in my career, which is cool. But I, now I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't know if that's the culmination of eight years of work, or just because I became spiritual. Like it could be, could be, you know, both things probably actually. But um, yeah. So I uh, I got very into like Hinduism and meditating during the original lockdown in Sydney. Um, when, when, yeah, quite frankly, we all were not really sure what was going on. And it, it's very interesting how different the two lockdowns are because that first lockdown was like, I think a bit of the pressure was off. Because it was like, yeah, could this could be the end of the world. Let's take some time for ourselves. Whereas then in Sydney, we came out of that so quickly and it was like, as soon as I was ready to like go inside and really discover who I am, it was like, oh, the cafes are open again. Yeah. You know, like, no, no, everything's fine. Back yeah, out on the streets. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it, which was a real jolt. And then this one, now we know, I think that mm. nothing's going to change on the end of it. Like we're still going to be part of this big machine. We're still playing the same game. The rules aren't rewritten just because we've got a lockdown for six weeks. There was an optimism at the start that it might be like, if you listen to episodes of this podcast during that time, I'm asking a lot of deep questions to people about how the pandemic is going to change the entire way that we like value our civilization and we'll learn the lesson of community and we'll direct, you know, we'll reject commercialism. And I'm just like, Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I was, an idiot. <laughs> I was wrong yet again. That's about what everything. I thought, but they, I, I reckon that's like, you know, they're, they're always talking about, it's like keeping the economy. We've got to keep Sydney open for the economy, but maybe that was, they were just trying to stop us from, 
from having the opportunity to realize that everything's fucked. You know what I mean? It's like, because we were so close. I feel like, I, and I've been able to carry that spiritual like that, or the, I don't know, the little habits that I developed that are quite good. I've, I've kind of, I think I've had enough time to entrench them. Um, but I should answer your actual question, uh, which I, yeah, I'm, it's like I could go real deep into Hinduism and stuff, but as a as, like surface level, I think my life philosophy now is very much like realizing that fulfillment doesn't come from the results of anything and that it's it's from like doing the work. That's what I, yeah, I think that's the, my key takeaway and that's what I'd sort of keep trying to remind myself and the more I focus on just like doing the work and enjoying the work, I don't need to, I find I don't care as much about how something turns out and I'm less affected by it. So it's a little bit of detachment, I guess. Yeah, I like that. So tell me about the journey coming to that. Like what were you like going into lockdown versus you know, when you sort of, you've had this sort of realization. So I, my background is kind of, I was raised like Catholic. Um, my dad's Catholic and we would go to like church every Sunday. I was weirdly, I was like the most Catholic kid in my school. And I, but I was also like the only Brown kid at school. So it was kind of like a bit like, I, I remember feeling more self-conscious about being Catholic at school than about being right. Brown. <laughs> And like I, I never wanted to tell anyone I went to church, but uh, but I like a lot of kids were, were you know there's a it's like in um, first second generation migrant literature there's a lot of like poetry and stuff about how you know people feeling insecure because their lunch smelt, but I was like no, nah, but these are curry puffs they taste fucking good, but I'm not eating them at church. <laughs> I'm yeah, not eating. I'm going nowhere near church. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps bringing up how he's not going to church. He's yeah. definitely not going to church. <laughs> exactly. I'm sort of thinking he might be going to church. Um, but the, uh, yeah, so it was, but mum's side of the family was Hindu, although she kind of was raised in Malaysia when it was like still coming out of colonial influence. So that she was raised in like a convent. So she was, she was kind of like, oh, I'm not very religious. Uh, but my dad is, or like, yeah, she said, you are religious to my dad. I was raised in a convent, so I kind of understand Catholicism, so let's raise the kids Catholic. And so that's how that happened. Um, but I guess we just sort of like, I don't know, With every, it's, it's not that uncommon, I guess, for people to kind of just be raised Catholic and sort of drift away because especially with the church and whatever, it just, connection never really felt like the 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 Catholic church and like the indiscretions and stuff, mm. the connection just never felt strong <laughs> for me. Yeah. Um, uh, you've really like, you, you made whatever do a lot of work in the first <laughs> sentence and then the indiscretions and stuff like got closer to where we needed yeah, to go. Yeah. But look, you know, <laughs> I don't know how much time we have. And yada, 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 <laughs> you know, we all know. I why. would just like to remind you, I've never set foot within five kilometers of a church. So, don't know what you're talking about. I don't, know, what that, well, I don't know what's up. happening there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but then um, I was always sort of interested in Hinduism, but just more purely from like mythology perspective than thinking it was yeah. ever going to be a philosophy or a spiritual thing. Um, <clears throat> and that, like a couple of years ago, 
my uncle passed away and he lives in Malaysia where my mum's family is. And I only got the call literally like a day before he passed away that he was in hospital and my mum was going to fly over. And so I was like, I better go with her so that she has someone there with her when, um, when it happens. And, uh, and it kind it was a very surreal heightened experience because, um, the family is Hindu and like the Hindu rituals surrounding death, are a very, um, yeah, very full on and very involved and very like prescriptive and, and like lots of prayer and ceremony. And, and so I, I had never really been raised around that. And all of a sudden I found myself kind of thrust into it. Um, and, uh, yeah, when I say full on, like quite, um, so the, the prayers and stuff go for about a week and like the body is in the house for a few of those days and like family come and say prayers around it. And that was I, probably only the second or third time I'd ever seen like a, a dead body. So that was pretty confronting. Um, and then after that, the body gets cremated and the family goes to see kind of the, or like to, yeah, see the cremation. And then after that, the like there's a ser- part of the ceremony is to take the ashes and to kind of um, yeah like commit the ashes to the ocean, I guess, to complete the cycle. Um, and but the first part of the collecting the ashes involves like actually physically um, touching the ashes and sort of separating the the fragments of bone from like the actual ashes and yeah I had no idea none of this was all new to me and when I went into it it was super just yeah very surreal very heightened and very everything around it felt like this sense of kind of uh spirituality was very present in the whole part in in the whole process um and that might just be because of the lack because I don't speak uh, Tamil or, or Sanskrit and so you know I think when you when you don't necessarily understand what's happening it can have this sense of like awe and an aura around it but also just because I think Hindu rituals in particular are very inherently like spiritual and, and earthy and about like I've since kind of researched a bit about what those rituals are trying to do and, and a lot of it is about like the grieving for the people left behind who are grieving, that connection with the actual ashes is sort of to remind you about the like temporary nature of the body and to remind you that like you're not really the body and that there's more to everything than that. And I definitely feel like the seed was planted during that those two weeks when I was in Malaysia experiencing that because I it it made me curious and it made me sort of open. And, um, uh, and then, yeah, when the pandemic hit, I think I'd kind of started, I, I remember, um, looking up like videos on YouTube cause I'm, it's such a lazy approach to spirituality, but I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to read a book, but I'll find this guru on YouTube and I'll see what he has to say about it. And, um, I, yeah, everything I've learned has either come from like a, a 
YouTube guru or listening to like a podcast on philosophy. You know what I mean? It's like I mean, I pretty much went through the same process with trying to fix my washing machine. Yeah, so. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's useful for the practical and like the spiritual. It's great. But it, which is also it's so funny to me because I think I've I've listened to a few of philosophy episodes and I I remember listening to like the Julia Gillard one because I was like, holy shit, he's talking to Julia Gillard. But like you you listen to podcasts at the most like I'm not you're not very. I wasn't very mindful of when I was listening to it. So I was like just in the shower listening to like Julia Gillard, just the, you know, the Australia's only female prime minister, our most effective prime minister of the last 10, 20 years. And I'm like, it feels very disrespectful when people listen to podcasts. You know, it's always something you fit in rather than whatever. But I look, I agree with that. <laughs> and look, there'd be some people who it turns out really do listen to them, but I know what you're talking about. The amount of times that I've had, like, been listening to some podcast and somebody says something so clever and you're like, oh, man, if I wasn't cleaning horseshit out of a stable right <laughs> yeah, now, exactly. I'd really write that down and remember that, <laughs> yeah. that great insight into the world. Yeah, for me, it's very much a multitasking thing. I've never, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> given my soul attention to <laughs> Can I just, um, before we get into the into the all of this because i want to get into all of this this is fantastic but i just one observation you made that really resonated with me was about the intoxicating power of not even understanding the words like i think that that's a great insight which is that a lot of these rituals like work without you understanding the language i have just two examples i once went to an orthodox greek wedding which was like a really long they do long weddings and it was like all in greek and i do not understand greek and so you really just had to appreciate the rhythms and the ceremony and try to understand what was going on regardless of not you know like speaking the language the other time was in montreal and they do a, 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 a comedy festival there. It's quite a world-famous comedy festival. But the two weeks beforehand or the week beforehand is a French-speaking comedy festival. Oh, wow. And so I got, I got there early. And so, the, like, the Montreal's biggest French-speaking comedian was doing this, like, outdoor show. 100,000 people outdoors on this, like, big concert stage. And, like, I had a pass. Like, I was able to go and watch. And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to go and watch it. And... I mean, I loved it and I laughed a lot. Like a lot of the time I definitely, you know, think that I could have, if, if you'd stopped and said, what's the joke here? I reckon I probably <laughs> could have given you the gist, but I don't actually know. Like I could have been completely wrong. Like my mind could have just been telling me that I was getting it. And I could have been laughing at some real dodgy shit. <laughs> I'm not sure. But I do think there is something about the inbuilt, like, I mean, the reason that some of those American preachers are so successful is not because of what the words are coming out of their mouth, but it's the, the cadence, rhythm, the, the, yeah. the cadence, the performance. I had to do a gig last uh, uh, 2019 at a, they call it's like one of those, it's not Hillsong, but it's one of the churches like that. Yeah. They have heaps of them in that. A place. modern Pentecostal church. Yeah, that's right. And, it, and they were looking for someone who could specifically do clean. And I, I assumed that they'd asked like 20 people. And, no and you were like, look, I've never been to a church before, but yeah. <laughs> I believe you're one of those modern churches. I will bend my rules for you. Um, yeah. <laughs> and and I, the, I remember like trying to research the church to try to write some jokes that would be relevant to them and coming across the page where they had all of their like the videos of their speakers. And I was like, holy fuck, these people are so charismatic. <laughs> I, like how can I? These people have will have the highest expectation of like right. performance and delivery, uh, yeah. and they yeah. 
It, that was weird though because they, they were they. It was such a friendly, uh, like diverse community as well. Right. And it was in, and that the only thing that it was like, why can't we? This is such a good example of how all of the races, all of the genders, obviously not all of the sexualities, but like. But all of the races, all the jet, we can all kind of get along. And but it, it just if only it didn't have to have this prism of like, um, uh, yeah, uh, this energy of like we all just want to have sex, and so we're getting married at twenty. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely that energy. Like, so when I was living in Melbourne, the um, I went to this sort of rehab gym. It was like my girlfriend would always mock me because she like, cause I, I could do it in my street clothes. Like I never sweat. She didn't think I should be able to call it a gym. But anyway, just because I was the youngest person there by about 30 years does not mean that it was not a gym. But across the road was uh, one of those churches and may or may not be the one that you went to. It, it, it's called Planet Shakers is the name of it. And it is very much that thing. They have big musical contests, concerts, big comedy events, like, and, you know, you would look at them spill out and if you wanted an advertisement for multicultural Australia, that was your advertisement. Like all these all these young people all having a great time. They were always like happy. Like and I'd be in there just watching them from across the road going like because I would look at how happy they were and look at how friendly they were and they were like supporting live performance and they were going to a gig on a Sunday morning. Like, you know, it was fellowship. It's all these cool things and yet – I would never absolutely ever in my life walk across the road with that, that thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I felt I left it as like I got out of there pretty soon after. And uh, <laughs> because the environment is like so inclusive, but only if you're included kind of thing. Yeah. Which is what yeah. I meant by like it. It's funny to me to see multiculturalism represented in that way, where it's like on the surface of it, so inclusive, but then there's this one important precondition that you've mm. got to satisfy kind of thing. Yeah, what we're trying to say, guys, is that people of all religions and uh, all races and creeds can hate homosexuals. <laughs> like, that's the one thing that has bonded us all together. Man, while I was on stage, this cricket came in along the, the and it, like, walked along the ground and I, like, a few people noticed it and then... <laughs> The guy at the front who was, who's like the main dude who had organized the event and stuff, he like put his foot over the cricket and then it, everyone started chanting like, kill it, kill And then he stepped oh on God. the cricket and squashed it. And I was so shocked. I was like, oh, man, this is – I forgot about dominion over the earth and stuff like that. Because <laughs> these people right. all, yeah, I, I was like – Also, locusts. Locusts exactly. get a terrible rap in religious texts, you know? I did make a plague of locusts jokes. Okay, so good. That was and a comedian in crickets, <laughs> I'm hoping. Like, I hope there was a comedian in crickets <laughs> and a plague of locust jokes and you were like, thank you very much, good night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Uh, oh, so you were yeah, telling me language, about the journey, the like language. the connection, you've done your YouTube videos, like you're starting to... Like there's obviously a question that you're asking yourself that you're looking for answers to. So what is the question that you're asking yourself? So I think um, the – well, I guess the – probably the question that I was asking myself is like what is the meaning of all of this, I guess. 
Right. Okay, good. That's the that's the juice of this entire podcast. Yeah. Like, I mean, li- literally, I dress it up in all these other questions, but really what I'm asking people is, what do you think the meaning of this is? So what do you think the meaning of this is? Or what are your questions about the meaning? Of, what what do you want to know? Like, I guess that's more, like, rather than coming up with some answer of what the meaning of it is, what are the questions that you're asking? What are the things that you want answers to or that you seek, like, you know, pursuing, asking the question? Yeah, and I, and I think that um, thinking about it now, it definitely does sort of, it, it makes sense to me that it sparks from that moment where I, where I had to literally touch my uncle's uh, remains because, and and that's kind of the purpose of that whole part of the ritual. I think is like, I don't know if you've ever seen footage of the of in Varanasi in the north of India where the Ganges River flows and they have like the the guts, which are like the the little funeral places along the river. But there there are people who go specifically make it part of their like spiritual process to go and live in those funeral piles to kind of be around death and to understand death and to understand the pivotal role i guess that death plays in in life or like the duality of life and death and how and and i guess growing up in the west i definitely feel like it it's so removed from any discussion that or like that we never re- I don't think we talk about death openly I don't think we think about life and death being integral and inherent to each other and and how death gives meaning to life that kind of thing well there's a I I mean I would argue that our entire society is set up to stop us thinking about death too deeply because if we think about death too deeply and this was your initial instincts in the pandemic is we drastically reassess what our priorities are in life and the world is not set up for everybody to drastically reprioritize that's just like it doesn't it doesn't work if everybody just goes hang on why am i doing this i'm gonna be dead like i'm gonna die and this actually the world's a casino and we're all we're all just at the pokey machines just yeah completely oblivious um I mean, Conan O'Brien, I bring this up all the time, but, you know, it's my podcast and if people listen all the time, they hear some things all the time. But Conan O'Brien talked about the ridiculous nature of wanting to be remembered as an entertainer. Like, you know, he says, you know, there's that old saying, you know, eventually everybody's grave goes untended. But in his world, he said, like the example he used, he named two like movie stars from the 1940s or 1930s or whatever, like the two biggest like name, like everyone on the planet would have known who these people are. And like, you're like, I don't know who those people are. And that was less than a hundred years ago. (laughs) Like the idea of all these things that we convince ourselves are important when we think about death in relation to our lives, there's a massive reassessment of your priorities. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's almost fortunate in a way that the, that I was thinking about maybe the seed had been planted before the pandemic came because there's nothing obviously to like heighten your awareness of death than that. And I'd probably fallen away from, so the, the guru is, his name is Satguru. I don't know if you've ever seen him. He's like, an, he's like a bald, gray haired, gray beard, Indian dude um, who actually Matthew Hayden interviewed him, which is wild to me. But 
Well, I know that Matthew Hayden's, I think he's quite a religious guy, is he? Or it's like a. He is. Yeah. yeah he's absolutely religious. Like his faith is integral to his yeah. life, but he's also um, quite a questioning guy. That's what I really liked about Matt is like he's very interested in what makes other people tick as yeah. well. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he, I've watched his interview with this, with Sakuru, and, and Sakuru is like a, a huge, he's like, he knows the Indian prime minister and he's like got huge influence. And I think I, I I have this weird thing where I am not like, I don't have my ears to the ground well enough to know like cool stuff. So I always find it through, like I, I got into rap music because I was listening to Tupac and I thought Tupac was the best rapper ever. And it turns out I was, uh, I was comparing Tupac to 50 Cent. You know what I mean? Right, but you know what? Like Tupac is one of the all-time greats. At least you you were at least you weren't saying like I was listening to Vanilla Ice. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, you know what? This guy. That's true. He's- but like, but then from then when I then got obsessed with it, I dug deeper and I was like, oh, there's a whole world of like of really creative. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. And so to me, Satguru was like my gateway drug. I feel into the into a true yeah. world of spirituality. I think I I think what happened was he I watched the video where. It, he he said like you you shouldn't eat garlic and eggplant, and I was like this guy's got to be a fraud. I was like I'm, I'm, I'm getting out here, and I was motivated to find something more meaningful. Um, uh, and just and and then the weird thing is like he, he's like you know you got to avoid those deadly nightshades. <laughs> like what are you yeah. doing, so Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everything else was very profound, but that I don't know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I so then I um, I don't know exactly how. Maybe it was it was through a recommended video on YouTube or something like that because I'd been watching these Satguru videos. But I found this site called uh, the Vedanta Society of New York, and Vedanta is like a very um, it's like one of the schools of Hinduism. There's like because it's thousands of years old. There's heaps of different offshoots and branches. But this Vedanta school is is the one that I found. And I found this guy who is a Swami and he gives these lectures. And I just listened to one one day and then I've probably listened to one a day since like, yeah, for almost a year now. I would have, so it's like I've almost done a complete course in this, the amount of time I've sort of studied this and like listened, but, but not studied because I haven't read any books. I yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but so it feels it feels weird it feels cheating but it's like i've i've i feel like i've also like developed these kind of profound um thoughts on the world which which is what you want me to talk about and i'm instead talking about <laughs> this podcast no i'm interested in the process as yeah. well because if i was talking to somebody who got really into QAnon during the fucking pandemic yeah, you'd want it'd be it. essentially yeah. the Why? same process yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah true i know I'm just, I'm it's just... luck that, that's it all just comes down to luck, <laughs> um <laughs> yeah okay so what were the questions uh, like you know yeah so i i think the big the, yeah the big question is is um what is this all for and what does it mean um and i think when you're coming back to my life philosophy of trying not to attach to results and trying to find fulfillment and meaning in the actual, the action and in the work. I think that 
that for me is a realization because society generally is structured very much in this idea of, of chasing success. And around that, there's a very strict parameter, I think, of what that means. Um, and it's tied into financial success, but it's tied into um, like, yeah, we, we tie happiness very closely to financial success. And I think during yeah, the- financial success and power, yeah. which sometimes are exactly yeah. the same thing, but not, are not always yeah. the same thing. And and I wouldn't even say that my my life, my philosophy of trying to find fulfillment in the work, it's not even avoiding trying to be like it's not. I'm not trying to be puritanical. I'm not trying to like talk down to people who chase financial success. But I'm I'm just saying that I actually have come to. I think I'm actually better off financially now that I've stopped focusing on it. Like, so it's almost, and I, but I don't want that to be the takeaway either. Cause I think that's, I'm jumping around a lot, but I, I feel like Satguru or there's a lot of these gurus online or even like, um, what's that guy, the, the TM guy, um, Deepak Chopra, or mm-hmm. there's like a whole culture of these spiritual gurus who have suddenly realized that there's a market that they can participate in that they can and that and it the message i feel like it's a very pure message but it can easily be corrupted either way but to me if you stay the course things just have a habit of working out um, okay, so do you feel like that it is actually this is where it gets interesting like because you have assigned you know, you said to me, I think that I am doing better financially now that I'm not concentrating on doing things for financial reasons. Coincidence or do you assign genuinely, do you feel like there has been a shift in your consciousness and approach to things and that has brought its own rewards? Um, yeah, so it's probably both. This is what I was saying about like uh, it could be the culmination of eight years of work where I, where I was like um, – not paid uh, all the time and where I was like just putting in the building the blocks, so to speak. I think it's definitely part of that. Um, But I think also there's an openness that I've uh, noticed that comes that I have uh, that wasn't there before through this kind of spiritual uh, perspective that I have or at least through meditating and through thinking about – not tying myself so much to results. I feel like I can be more present and more open and and I'm just noticing, I think it makes you more likely to notice little things that you can take advantage of or that you can, yeah, I, it's, it's tricky. I, it probably sounds like I'm being quite vague because I don't want it to sound like I'm trying to, like it sounds like I'm trying to manifest stuff. Well, that's always the most interesting thing, isn't it? Like, <laughs> is do these things change the way that you perceive life or does your acceptance that these things are changing the way you perceive life have the result that you it changes the way you perceive yeah. life? And does it really matter one way or the other if you feel like your life is changing in a positive way? Well, that's where the philosophy comes in, I guess. And it, yeah, I think it's – and again, I think it's probably part of – I think it's both, to be honest. Okay, so you, you talked about practical things. Like you talked about practices that you have now that you put in place. Like what sort of – like meditation is obviously one of them. Yeah, um, meditation. Uh, but I 
again, I don't know because now um, I'm not, I don't know if I should mention this or whatever, but now you're kind of my boss. So, <laughs> so I don't want to, like I was about to say, I'm naturally quite a lazy person, but I don't, I don't want you to take that as a, as a takeaway. I'm not interviewing you as my as as my employee. I am interviewing yeah. you as a guest on this, this is podcast. the weirdest job interview I've ever had. I thought I already had the job. <laughs> um, I'm not wearing any pants. It's very strange. But um, no, so I think that uh, like naturally, I took the path of least resistance through my life. Yeah. That's that's. Oddly enough, why I went into accounting because um, I think if I like I, I set my sights on doing law and I missed out on the marks and I was like maybe I'll I'll go into accounting and I'll transfer and then I got into accounting and I was like I'm just going to get this done with as soon as I can. like I I always sort of went with whatever felt easiest or the flow. Which, in hindsight, is is exactly what I'm advocating now, but I just didn't know that I was doing it. And um, again, I was like, man, I'm jumping all over the place. But it could be because I just had the AstraZeneca jab. I don't know what. It is. But um, I, yeah, I, I look back at like the pivotal moments that have influenced my life, and I feel like they they were always impulse or just like things that weren't expected or or prepared for and then and what they something would happen that because of that thing happening the next thing happened and then the next thing happened and i can trace those moments back and none of them are ever moments that i'd planned for or prepared for um and maybe i was ready to to capitalize on them at the moment that it came but that's because i was because of work i'd done not because of something i'd wanted or something i'd i'd tried to get you know or results that i was hoping for kind of thing no i i understand that i mean i think that our lives make much more sense when we look back on them than they do at the time you know you can see how one thing led you to another when you reflect on where you are now but at the time it's hard to go this will be a great step to you know where i'm eventually going to end up that's true but i but to me the takeaway that i kind of took from that is that it it's um it's like a combination of uh, life happening plus having done work that things happen rather than wanting. Like I feel like the superficial thing that we bring to it is the desire and the mm-hmm. or the fear. Like they're kind of, um, and again, as I said, all of this I've absorbed from listening to lectures and stuff or probably even listening to podcasts. So these are none, no, none of this is like an original thought of mine. But it, but it's like <laughs> desire and fear are, are kind of two sides of the same coin, and they are like probably the the main things that we let guide us in life, and they are the main things that shape how we see and perceive our lives. But in in effect, I feel like they have very little actual impact on our on the experiences that we have. We, we can be a real prisoner to our desires because yeah. our desires aren't always even our desires. Like yeah, that's exactly. what this time to reflect on things, I think at least unlocked for some people, which was how many of the things that I do are trying to fulfill what somebody else thinks 
like the best use of my day would be or like what I need to be or what I need to have to be happy. I had to do this article like for this show that we're working on. Um, I had to do this article uh, uh, for The Guardian and it was like a thing you'd say from your house in a fire. And I found it a really difficult article to do because other than, because I said, don't put like pets and family members and you know, that the, that sort of stuff. It has to be like a an object. And I was like, I am not attached to anything. Like part of that is like 25 years on the road as a stand-up comedian where like if you just, you're packing light, you know, you want to be able to take your carry-on bag onto the plane, like, you know. But part of it is that I just, it takes not very much to make me happy. And the thing that sometimes makes me unhappy is the pursuit of other people's ideas of what I should be doing with my life as opposed to like I could actually just do less and enjoy my life more. <laughs> yeah, that's I think there was there were moments during the first lockdown when everything was quiet and like people still felt fulfilled and and like I reckon that was a realization that people had and and maybe we just moved out of it too soon for it, for that people to be able to hold on to it yeah we were just about to get there we were just about to unlock something with our therapists and then we never called them back (laughs) we were like sorry back at work but yeah so to me i guess that yeah how does that relate to those questions of um death and and whatever and its role in life is i think in a weird way like death is this is the ultimate fear and is the ultimate kind of desire is to stay here and to be able to keep experiencing and enjoying like the the life of experience okay so we've obviously touched on this a lot already but i ask it's a standard question that i ask on the show which is um what do you think happens when we die um so this is uh i I don't think i ever really thought about this when i was growing up catholic um, and because the Catholics have a pretty firm idea about like what happens when you die and how you get to the good place and the, or the bad place. Yeah, and the good place and the bad place just never felt like a real thing to me. Like it, it just seemed too intangible and too unlikely and too whatever. Um, and so it's kind of weirdly through this connection to spirituality that I probably have thought about it more. And the best way I've heard it described. Um, was actually, I think it was like Blake Freeman and he, he said it as a question and when he said it, it just like solidified with me and I was like, oh yeah, that's it. But I, but death, I think what happens after death is what it was like before birth. So whatever that, which is, and then I think that's my perception of what happens, but then because I've been sort of quote unquote studying this Hindu stuff, I have a layer on top of that of like what I what I would say I I don't know if I believe it or not but I would but I it makes sense to me which is that like there is no kind of um, like we like I'm very uh, and interesting as well because you started the podcast by saying who am I 
And that's like the fundamental question that I sort of meditate on at the moment. See, you mocked me as if it wasn't a good question, but it's actually a really good question. I think it is the, yeah. like, it's the most <laughs> It's the question. Profound que- it's literally yeah, it the question. Yeah. yeah. Good. It only took you an hour into this job interview <laughs> to finally get the job. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that I would say that's the that's it. Yeah, that's the question, and I think through meditating, I um, very much believe that the the message that comes out of Vedanta is that we're not the body and we're not the mind, and I think I w- always like it doesn't sound that unreasonable to say we're not the body, like it's quite right. we experience the body, but if you hurt, like you injure your um, or whatever, you still your sense of being is not affected. Your experience might be, but your that sense of just being isn't. And it and it took me a long time, and it was only through meditating that I have now feel like the same thing is true of the thoughts and the kind of yeah, like it, 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 the more I meditate, the more I see thoughts as like scrolling an Instagram feed where it's like. You go. You might go on there to check one thing, or you open, you unlock your phone with the intent of doing one thing, and then an hour later, you've been scrolling Instagram, and you just haven't. Like you're like, where did the time? What happened? I, that's not why I unlocked my phone. I can't even remember why I unlocked my phone. It's just like a series of of random things have led you there that you are either were or weren't conscious of. Okay, so I feel yeah. like yeah. Are you how conscious of your decisions and your like day to day are you? Because part of it is about not being conscious of being conscious, right? Like that's the trick is like being in a moment and this is what I think part of the practice of meditation is. I'm a real expert on everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what I think personally, one of the real practices of meditation is that it's constantly a bit of a battle between you observing yourself meditating and you actually meditating. And the trick is to like, when you observe yourself to like, you know, to, for that to be okay and to try to get back to it. And it feels like that's the kind of practice of our thinking in life. What you're talking about is like, you know, trying to be in a moment is trying to like be okay with sometimes you observing yourself being in a moment if it results in you actually being able to be in the moment. Yeah, I think um, I haven't actually have a joke about this, about how like I got so close to complete silence in my mind, but I must be doing something wrong because the whole time I'm meditating, I'm just thinking to myself, I'm meditating. Like that's the, that's all. The, but I eventually did push past that and um, it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens more than it used to now where I meditate and I can like have moments of just complete silence. And that for me was quite a profound experience because it was, it, it, that's why now I'm like, now the question is who am I? Because I feel quite confident that the mind is just uh, like a wave of thoughts and uh, and and it is an object in the same way that the body is. And so then the, the next level of exploration is like, well, who? And the funny thing is, I don't even smoke. Well, so I, <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I only do medicinally now that that's what I'm allowed to say. Oh, no, I'm not. 
to you. I'm just like, it um, sounds what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, man, like I, this is all big, good stuff. So who are you at your best then? When, you, when you're only assessing yourself, when you block out the noise of other people's idea of what success looks like, who are you when you're happy, you know, being you? What does that look like? Um, yeah, so I, I think, uh, like, I'm sure that you have experienced this, but when you, um, like, when you, you're on stage and everything kind of gels um, and, like, I, I actually heard Kathy Freeman say this when she was talking about that 400 metres in the Sydney Olympics. I was going to say, she and, said something about stand-up, but that did not make the headlines. She <laughs> yeah, said, you know, it's like, said, you know, we well, out there said, three minutes into it at five, you're trying some new stuff. She said, I went to one of Will's shows and I've never ran faster than I did at the Sydney Olympics. That was, <laughs> um, no, she, so she was talking about how like the, during the race she felt like at one with the entire kind of everyone in the stadium. She felt like it was the whole experience was not her running. It was the whole thing kind of thing. And, I, and sometimes I feel like when you have a really good gig, that's a feeling that you get. Um, and to me, that's when that might, like when things just happen in the moment and you're, you're observing them, but it's not, there's no uh, like mind or desire or fear in the way of it kind of thing. And sometimes on stage, I'm like thinking a thousand miles, trying to whatever, like be in the moment, but I'm still thinking or I'm like, I'm not actually feeling the delivery. But then sometimes everything just clicks and it and it's like the sense of, of me being the performer goes away a little bit. And I think that to me is probably what we're all trying to search for. And it's like if you do it enough, if you do any one thing enough, then the mind maybe goes quiet and you just you are just present. And I think it'd be cool if you could have that in in your life generally. Yeah. But yeah. I mean I, I do think that like stand up can be a the search for you know unlocking that thing that is very hard to unlock in the rest of your life. Yeah. But also, I think that if we want to, you know, talk, I, I often talk about it as surfing. People have heard me talk about the relationship between the performer on stage and the audience as being surfing, right? Like, you know, you have to work out how big the waves are going to be and how predictable the waves are going to be. And then you've got to, if you're a good surfer, you get in tune with what's going on and you're like in that moment. But let's take it to a spiritual thing if you're talking about the idea of breaking everything else down and like remembering that we're all just like we're all asking these questions and none of us have the answers and yet we've been jumbled together in this like ill-thought-out society and been asked to survive in these like horrible conditions without fucking any guidance. Like like if when everyone laughs together, when you have a room full of people who if you got them in the foyer together might have nothing in common and never talk to anyone and then you just strip them down in that moment where – they are all laughing together. Like they're sharing an intimate moment together. And then if you can get to the point, which I think is what you're describing, where you like get rid of the pretense of you even being the performer who's making them do this and you're just the surfer like in, in it now, you're just part of it. That's when it's, I mean, it's, yeah. Like I can understand why you would want that in the rest of your life. Yeah. But, but, it, and it's almost the, like, I, 
I mean, it, it sounds like I'm chasing this high or something, that, or like the adrenaline or the whatever. But I, but I do think, um, and again, it's heavily influenced by the kind of where I'm at in terms of my spirituality and whatever. But I do think a lot of it, it has to do with that kind of falling away of, like you were describing meditating as being aware of the process of meditating as well as meditating. <clears throat> and I think it's the, the awareness of the process of it is sometimes the layer above that, that we want to like that's the the thing that we identify with most of the time and and for me meditating has helped me not identify with that part of it with that bit um okay so when you're but also i'm i'm in like i'm no by no means it for like a fucking guru or like i it I sounds know, like I'm you've, done one, a, a, you've done as far as i can tell a one-year course which makes you an expert. yeah exactly <laughs> this this takes lifetimes you know? <laughs> well you had all that good catholic you know grounding so that like i mean obviously yeah. we all know you never went to church but you might have picked up a few things around rituals and you know spiritual beliefs that you know i feel very grateful for that actually like i i think um our society is kind of like probably not a bad thing to move away from institutionalized religion but we kind of it's like when you know you we deposed saddam hussein like there was a there was a threat we got rid of him but we didn't really think about what comes right. next and like <laughs> we got spiritualities was thrown out of the, the window i think at the same time and now yeah i don't know i feel like we're not encouraged to think about the big questions like what is the meaning of this? Who are who are we, etc. But but those questions will gnaw away at you anyway, as you as you said. And so, like, if you that kind of probably creates a lot of angst in people because they're not aware that. Or it find it that people try to find other <laughs> places for the answers, whether that be like you know spirituality, or whether it be wellness, or whether it be QAnon, or whether it be like a you know a cult or a, like some other belief, like you know the alt right. Like all these are seem to me to yeah. be groups who a search are for meaning. Yeah, yeah, exactly, looking for meaning and. I agree with what it's a power vacuum, right? It happens all the time in like if some like sporting club has had some very like dominant, you know, leader of that club who's like been there for like, you know, generations, then the minute they go away, everything just fucking falls to yeah. pieces because we, I don't we, know if you knew I was a Hawthorne supporter. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing in common I, I have. I was about to say, like, you couldn't at least be like, no, 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 I'm the Sri Lankan accountant comedian who barracks for Essendon. So different guy. Um, okay, so who are you at your worst then? Like, so when you are, like, you know, not doing so well, not living by, you know, your sense of who you are, what does that look like? Well, that's an interesting question. I guess I'd say probably, like, uh, a bit um, insecure in my like my capability I think like I think that the for me the fear bit was always more heightened than the desire bit um, and particularly moving into an industry where it, it does by no means am I a trailblazer but it is like an industry where it, it's kind of um, a little bit more challenging if you don't fit a certain mold um 
and I'm, that's not necessarily just talking about like ethnicity wise, but also in terms of, I guess, the types of things that I like to talk about um, on stage, which is ethnicity. But, <laughs> but no, but like, <laughs> um, they they don't have a problem with my ethnicity. It's all the banging on about ethnicity that I do yeah. that really turns people <laughs> off. But no, I I, I feel like um, I'm. There's, uh, I haven't watched it yet, this show called Hacks, and it's like, oh, yeah. I think the character is loosely based on Joan Rivers. Yeah. But I so, heard... So the, the premise being that she's like an old Vegas successful comedian, but she needs to adapt to a modern age and takes on a like a online comedian who got cancelled for some edgy joke they made, I believe. is. The, yeah, yeah, and it's the, the two generations have to find yeah. a way to work together. But I, I saw a preview for it, and there was this line in it that just resonated with me so much but it was the the stalwart character who's jean smart who's like at sort of in the twilight of her very successful career and the the like the manager at the vegas hotel has to let her down lightly that she's no longer going to be doing shows every night and he kind of he says to her he's like you've had a career that most people like you can relax now you've had a career that most people would kill for and she's like relax i've never I've never been able to relax my entire career because of people like you. And like it resonated with me, not because I'm like spiteful or whatever, but like I do, I do feel like in terms of my stand up career, I've always felt I have a point to prove. And probably in 2020, I think I sort of realized I maybe don't. And I, I am holding myself back by thinking that way. And I can be a lot better by like, by just trying to be better at stand up and just trying to be I mean yeah. yeah that's I mean that feels like stand up maturity as well. I mean it feels yeah, like yeah yeah you know you're at the right point in your stand up life to have that conversation with yourself and it, yeah you absolutely will be better for it. Like the reasons that you start doing something are really the reasons that you keep doing something and I think it's important to remember that. I think that's actually a good thing to ruminate upon um on my desk i have a little it's as close as i have to an inspirational saying uh it says what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail and the way that i've interpreted that everyone's sick of me explaining this but i explain (laughs) it to every single guest is that it's very relevant to the project that we are working on together which is don't worry about it being successful like assume that it's successful what do you want it to look like? What And I, I think it's very relevant to the conversation we've had because really at the heart of it, it's a question of going, what do I want the work to be like? Like if we're not going to think about the result of it, like what do I want my days to be? What do I want to be reading about? Like what people do I want to be having meetings with and like you know, aspiring with creative ideas and, you know, what what does that look like? So that's how I interpret it, but you are able to interpret it any way that you would want to interpret it. What would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? I think, I guess, like probably, probably this time last year, I reckon I would have said uh, comedy and like um, I, I, my friend and I have like written a pilot for a TV show that we want to get made and like this time last year, I, I would have been like, if I knew this wouldn't fail, I'd put everything into it. And then somehow it's ended up that I have kind of put everything into it. Um, 
without that without that kind of condition and it and it's sort of i don't know things are moving along may or may not happen but i feel happy and confident with where it's at i i think now my answer would be if i knew it couldn't fail i would be i'd like go um sit on a rock and meditate like one of those old indian men and i would just try to um like unlock the universe <laughs> yeah i get that i get that like i have a real fantasy i don't play chess at all and like i watched the the queen's gambit no whatever oh, yeah, yeah. whatever that was called like but anyway <laughs> it was it was great whatever it was called um but <clears throat> It was real good, but the like the whole thing where she was seeing the moves on the ceiling that was so on the nose. So was, that's how I write jokes now, actually. Yeah. I'm like the, um, the only thing that makes me want to play chess is I have a great envy for old men who play chess with each other in parks, and so yeah. whenever I see these dudes who, are, who like just go down there in the morning and then they play chess all day with a whole bunch of dudes and like talk about life and play chess and like I guess just think about existence like you know to me that is the equivalent of like I don't think I could sit on a rock and meditate I think I'd <laughs> like still need to play a board game to you know distract me a <laughs> yeah. little bit but I, I, I get what you're talking about yeah yeah it's an Indian board game that's all I'm saying <laughs> um, um, yeah I, I, yeah. I used to in my lunch break I used to go down when I was accounting and I would watch those guys and they were um, yeah, it, there's something so sort of like, I don't know what the word is, but the, the how in their element they are and how kind of, uh, how much fulfillment they seem they're getting from just such a small community and such a small moment. Right. They're happy. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's success for them. And like, I, sometimes yeah. I look yeah. at my own life and I go, I mean, it really if you fucking like, you know, downsize a little and put some of your money away and maybe just did the comedy festival every year, you could play chess like 360 days a year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'd get pretty good at that. Yeah. I mean, you'd hope You wouldn't so. even need to see the moves on the ceiling. I mean, you'd imagine if I didn't, that. though. That'd be the best. <laughs> if I was still as bad as I was on day one after all that time. I'm just, hey, it's not about results, Will. I'm just here for the <laughs> contemplation, guys. The company and the <laughs> contemplation. I just need to get out of the house. Um, all right, two more questions and we're done, mate. So um, no 10,000 hours. You just wake up tomorrow morning and you have a skill. Um, what skill would you love to just be able to have? Um, I think I would – I'd love to be like a walk master. Oh, yeah. I'd love to be one of those guys who um, can cook – in a wok with a fucking jet fuel thing <laughs> yeah. and they cook food in yeah. like two minutes and it's done. And, and it's they, the I best just, tasting food you've ever had in your life. Yeah. 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 And they just stand all day in front of this fucking rocket fuel, <laughs> but they, but they're happy and they're just like, yeah, I'd love to do, I, cause I got into cooking during the pandemic as well. And I, I'm, I've gotten quite good at cooking, but there's something about, like a walk is very inaccessible. Yeah. You can't just do that at home, but it would that would be, yeah, a walk master. Yeah, I like it. Good answer. Um, surprisingly common. Comes up all the time. 
Uh, I have a time machine. I can take. Oh, don't tell me Dill Rooks at it. Too, eh? <laughs> I have a time machine. I can take it back vo- backward in time. I can take it forward in time. Um, I ask this question in two parts now. So, firstly, just without telling me where you want to go, just tell me if you want to go forward in time or backward in time. Which one is more enticing to you? Um, oh, I'll go backwards in time. Okay, so where are we going to go backwards then? I'll go to about 30 minutes ago when it sounded very much like I believe in manifestation. I don't believe in manifestation. I'd just like to set the record straight. That's... This is a great book you can read. It's called The Secret. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The secret's out. It's a lie. But it, um... No, I, I reckon I would go... Um... Uh, but it's actually so interesting. I think because I, w- I, I don't think I would want to go to any point in my own life. Um, I probably I'd go back to like. I don't know. I think I have a very uh, set perception of who my parents are because, especially, I think when you grow up in like a second generation family there's a bit of a culture gap that exists um or and at least with my parents they were they were quite westernized to be fair but they um but i think they wanted us to really fit in and so they held back a bit of culture so that we could kind of like not have that overlay when we were trying to become part of australian culture um so i don't have an intimate knowledge of who they were when they were young and I think I'd like to go back in time and get to know like them because I've seen photos of their wedding and my dad's got like these massive sideburns and like giant lapels and a huge 70s glasses and stuff and I'm like that's not him so I'd like to I'd like to go and meet that that version of him good answer uh thank you very much for doing this uh do you have anything that you would like to plug question everything ABC 8 30 <laughs> Wednesday nights and ABC of you yeah, well, I was meant to be doing a show at the Giant Dwarf. Um, it was actually going to be on the same night as your show at the Enmore, I think. Um, you were going to be doing like a completely improvised show and sell out the Enmore, and I think I was going to be doing, you know, a show that I've been working on for quite some time and sort of crafting away um, and probably would have, you know, sold half capacity. But um, I, I think mean, I would... Half seems, <laughs> half seems quite generous, I've got to be honest. <laughs> The end was eighteen hundred seats, but sure. Anyway, whatever. Um, <laughs> no, I said I was going to sell, but I, um, I think I will. Uh, yeah, I'm hopefully going to be doing the show at Giant Dwarf again after the pandemic. There's no date as yet, but that's a, a vague plug. And then also question everything on ABC's uh, Wednesday nights at at nine. anything else you want to plug is there is there like um like you know like twitter or instagram or one of those places where Um, you're most active yeah i'm most active probably on um instagram at seren comedy um and i make little videos every now and then and there's some cooking videos on there as well if you like cooking so it's a good place to go for a few different things there you go all right uh thank you very much for doing this mate no worries thanks for having me 